Morning. Morning Morning to those of you watching online as well. It's my uh, privilege to conclude this series. If you've been here for the month of August, we took one psalm, uh, six verses, and spread it out over the course of a series, the summer of 23. And this morning, I'm going to conclude this series just by looking at or focusing on the last two verses, verse 5 and 6, but they will serve, I hope, as an affirmation of the fundamental truth, the core truth that has made this psalm beloved for people of faith and even people not of faith for many, many years. And that is this, that God, here's a summary, I think, can be trusted in all of life's circumstances, right? God can be trusted in all of life's circumstances. You might say the 23rd Psalm is kind of a a, a confidence of trust, Right? I don't know what would be a good example. Sometimes you, you might say something, you're walking into something big in life. I don't know, a big, you're going to college, you're, you're starting a new career, you're getting married, you're going to have children. You're doing something that's bigger than you are. You've never done it before, right? And you're looking for some kind of inspiration, some kind of confidence to say to yourself, to say to those around you, we can do this. This is how we're going to find the courage to be able to go forward. It's a confidence of trust. And you might say, David, if we believe the author of this psalm, we don't know the backstory, but it's a confidence of trust. He hasn't lived his whole life. Maybe he's about to enter into or is in the middle of something difficult, but he's making a statement of faith. Okay? That's what the 23rd Psalm is. It is a confession of trust that God can be trusted. It's a question you should ask yourself as you read this psalm, as we conclude this series, in all of life's circumstances. It's, um, this is my title for my brief a sermon here. The confidence that faith provides or can provide. The confidence that faith, your faith, my faith, can provide. Just these two verses that end the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, a confidence of trust, but it's very important to know If you hope to benefit from this truth that God can be with you in all of life's circumstances, it's very important to know if you want to benefit from this truth, to benefit from this power, that this trust is often, maybe always, birthed in difficulty, not in good and easy times. That's kind of the point of the psalm. If you were here last week and Roger talked about it, right? Even though, even though I may, right? Walk through the darkest valley. That's a generalized metaphor on purpose because who knows what your situation is. Maybe it's about money. Maybe it's about your marriage. Maybe it's about life. Maybe it's about illness. Whatever it is, even though I may walk through the darkest valley. If you know the story of David, he had a lot of them. I will fear no evil, okay? So what he's saying is it's a trust But it's more often, most often, birthed in times of difficulty, not in good or easy times. Let me give you a summary of this psalm or a summary of this series, okay? We'll get into this sermon. What does the 23rd Psalm say? It's about the life of faith. If you're a Christian, 
here today, we're walking a a life of faith, right? However good your life might be, however great it might be or not great it might be, in this world you will have trouble. Those are the words of Jesus, right? In this world you will, this is not the end, this is not the goal, right? We are making our way through this world to another one, and it's all about faith, okay? But what does it take? How do I live the life of faith? What is the life of faith? That's what this psalm is about. It's these things, by summary. A strength must be found. That's what the first three verses are about. He, re- he leads me beside quiet waters. These are metaphors. By still waters, by beautiful meadows. He refreshes my soul. Okay? That means I need refreshing. That means you need refreshing. So one thing that this psalm is about. A strength must be found. Number two, a way must be walked. Right? Even though I walk through the darkest valley. I think Roger said this, you know, we're, we're not here, we're not buying real estate here, talking about in this life. But we are making our way through. A way must be walked. Right? A way must be walked. And it is often a difficult way. And, as we'll get to this morning, often... Victory is possible, even in this life. That's this image. You prepare a table before me. This is supposed to be a beautiful image. Think of a beautiful banquet table. Think of a great event. Think of Thanksgiving, you know, plus, plus. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So a, 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 a a, a strength must be found. Are you finding strength in your faith? A way must be walked. It's often difficult, but victory is possible. And here's the last verse. If you learn how to live out of God's love, that's the key to the Christian life. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, this life, this side of heaven. Okay? Now, John Calvin said these words. He's not talking about the 23rd Psalm, but he was talking about, that's where I get my title, the life of faith. Because often people, Christians like you and me, we misunderstand what the life of faith is. Difficulty comes in our life. Oh, the Christian life isn't worth it. God doesn't love me. You know, forget the church. Happens all the time in our day, right? We don't understand what the life of faith is. And John Calvin says these words. There is a great difference between this sleep of stupidity, talking about people who have a a weak understanding of faith, and the confidence which faith produces. So the 23rd Psalm's about. He's saying, listen, if you could become a Christian, as Pete was saying a minute ago, that's day one. Now you want to learn how to walk by faith. And when you learn to walk by faith, a strength must be found, refreshes my soul. A way must be walked. Victory is possible. You have to learn how to walk in faith every single day. It's the life of faith. And that faith, if you learn how to work it, which the 23rd Psalm is about, it produces confidence, not false confidence, not, you know, sort of, you know, you know pep, pep rally speech, but true confidence, true strength to live your life, to face difficulty, to walk through the darkest valleys, to share your faith, to be a Christian in a victorious, truly victorious way, All right? That's what the 23rd Psalm is about. So, the faith The confidence that faith produces, three quick things I'm going to say from these last two verses. What is the confidence that faith produces? What kind of confidence? 
does faith produce or should it produce in your life? First one is this. God will provide what you need when you need it. That's what this psalm says, but really I would, ta- I would challenge you to think about the Bible in general or the Christian life in general or the teachings of Jesus in general. God will provide what you need when you need it, not five minutes before and not five minutes after. I'd like it five hours before. I'd like it five weeks before. But that's not how the life of faith works. That's how we'd like it to work. And we become control freaks and we become full of anxiety and we, and we live very circumscribed lives and we never really live by faith at all, even though we come to church. Okay? God will provide what you need when you need it. In the middle of this psalm, those of you familiar with it, most of us are, there's a change of imagery, right? We're talking about this shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. He walks me through. He's got the rod and the staff. And then all of a sudden, in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And, and you know, scholars have said, you know, some, well, this is two different psalms thrown together. And, and, and why the change of metaphor? But it's not really a new idea here. He's not changing the idea. It's a fuller view of God as shepherd. If you read carefully the Old Testament, I could quote many verses for you. God is seen as a shepherd. I'm talking about God, you know, Yahweh, the Old Testament God. He's seen as a shepherd. David, the king, is called the under-shepherd of Israel. Although David was a shepherd as a kid, most of the press, in, in, David lived most of his life as the king of Israel, not a shepherd. The kings of Israel, First and Second Kings, often are called shepherds. So the idea of shepherd was de- God is depicted as a shepherd, as a leader in, in the primary idea that's being uh, uh, fullerly expressed in this psalm about kings, about leaders, is two things, provision and protection, right? Provision, he leads me beside quiet waters. These are metaphors, these are ideas. He, he, gives, he refreshes my soul. He, he takes care of me. He's with me even in dark and difficult times. Provision and protection. And it's here, it's in, it's in this God whom the psalmist expresses absolute dependence. Now listen to these words from the 78th Psalm. It's gonna, he, I'm going to give you a little insight, I hope, on what, he, what's, what does it mean by he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The 78th Psalm is a historical psalm. There are, there are a handful of them. And they're kind of sermons, psalms as sermons, when the writer of these psalms is trying to speak to the next generation. Maybe it's a good parents do this and good teachers do this and good coaches do this. But they say, listen, let me tell you some lessons about, you know, let me, let me share my life with you, uh, um, son, grandson. Let me try to share some lessons from my life that might help you out. And that's what these historical psalms are. And the writer is talking about the wilderness wanderings of the people of God. They spoke against God. They said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Okay, he's saying the children of Israel were complaining. 
They got what they wanted, was the, which was deliverance from slavery in Egypt. All this beautiful thing in the Red Sea and, and all of the, the, the plagues on, on their enemies. And, and they, get, they leave Egypt with oh, their, their, their pockets are full of gold and silver. You know the story. It was an amazing deliverance. Wow. But as soon as they got out of Egypt, think about your own life. They said, boy, we had it pretty good back. Yeah, we were slaves, but the, they had good melons back there and good food. And, and, you know, it wasn't so bad being back there. Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? How are we going to eat out here, Moses? True, he struck the rock and water gushed out, right? Streams flowed abundantly. Well, yeah, I guess he did do that, right? But can he su- give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire broke out against Jacob. His wrath rose against Israel. Well, here's the key verse in this psalm for you and me. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. It's a psalm of faith. We're talking about the people of God. You're the people of God. But you can be the people of God, walking, finding strength where you need it, walking a difficult path, but you really don't believe in God and you really don't have faith and be honest with yourself. Okay? Because that's what he's saying here. That's what this writer's saying to the next generation. They did not believe in God, really believe in him, nor did they trust in his deliverance. Now watch the grace of God. Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors. He did it anyway. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. What's the point? He gave them what they needed when they needed it. Even though in this case, they were fearful and anxious and complained. Okay? This is faith. This is the lesson, by the way of the wilderness wanderings. And it's the lesson very often of your and my wilderness wanderings. To try to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's gonna give you what you need when you need it. Do you trust in him? Do you believe in him really? And do you really trust in his deliverance? God's trying to build a muscle of faith in you. It's the same truth, by the way, that Jesus Christ, who gave himself the title in John chapter 10. Now, Jesus never spent five minutes, as far as we know, tending sheep. It's a metaphor. I am the good shepherd of the sheep. And what did Jesus do? What's the greatest miracle? If I went down to the, the mall or somewhere today and found someone who doesn't go to church on Sunday and say, tell me what, give me one miracle of Jesus, they'd say, loaves and fishes. I mean, anybody knows that. It's the most famous miracle of Jesus. What does it say? It's the same thing that this is saying. That God will give you what you need when you need it. The disciples say, we need to send these people home. What are we going to do? There's a huge, there's thousands of people here. There's, they're, 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 night is falling. Jesus, get over with your sermon. Let's get these people home. He said, let's feed them. How are we going to feed them? Just sit down and do what I tell you. Because God will give you what you need when you need it. Okay? That was the lesson for the 12 disciples. So here's my question. Do you believe this? Hey, don't raise your hand. I don't know what's going on in your life. 
But I don't have to be smart to know that you walk a difficult path. Maybe you just got through one. Maybe you're on your way into one. It's the nature of life. And if you don't think that, then someone gave you a bad message. And if your friend or your kid or your cousin who used to go to church and doesn't because it, help them out because they got a bad message. We walk through the darkest valley. That's what this life is about. Right? We're learning what it means to walk with God. We don't learn what it means to walk with God on a roller coaster on the beach. But God will give you what you need when you need it. Do you believe this? Do you live your life in line with this truth? That God gives you what you need. Not five minutes before, not five minutes after. What is your truest need today? Okay? These are just questions for you. Is it spiritual restoration? Maybe that's what some of you need. Psalm verses, Psalm 6, or Psalm 23, 1 through 3. He refreshes my soul. Okay? Some of you need that. You don't even know you need it. Do you need strength and endurance? Some of you right now, in this moment, are walking through a dark valley of a kind. Right? I am with you. God doesn't say, I'm going to pull this cord and you're out. He says, I'm with you. My my, My rod and my staff, they will comfort you. Some of you, your truest need is strength and endurance. Some of you, it's spiritual victory. Right? Right? You're on the other side of it. What you need is a spiritual victory. He's prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Do you know it? Have you identified it? What is your truest need? Are you praying about it? Are you praying about it? And are you waiting expectantly? Because this is how you, Psalm 78, verse 22, believe in God and trust in his deliverance. This is real faith. This is how you believe in God and you trust in his deliverance. Identify what your need is. It's not the same as the person sitting next to you. And wait on God. God will give you what you need when you need it. Second, God can do great things out of of the darkest times in your life. That's, what the, that's why Psalm 23 is so powerful. That's why people know it for, you know, have known it for many, many years and people aren't even Christians can quote it because they need it. And God's happy for, for even non-Christians to take advantage of it, right? He loves all people. People are smart enough to know because most people live their lives here. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, you will You are with me, and God can do. This is what David's saying in the fifth verse. Great things out of the darkest times of your life. The central image of the 23rd Psalm, it's sort of a buildup, right? It's leading somewhere, and it does feel abrupt, but the central image is not the still waters. It's not the quiet waters. It's not the beautiful meadows. It's not even the dark valley. It's supposed to shock you, but you've prepared for me a table. Can God prepare a table? Can God provide a table in the wilderness? The, the children of Israel asked in the, in the book of Numbers. Can he do that? Jesus, can you feed all these hungry people? The answer is, yes, I can. This is the central image of the psalm. It's the table in the wilderness. It's the central image of the psalm. It's a prepared table. And it's not only about provision, but it's also about victory, okay? It's victory, that you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I had the opportunity a couple months ago, some of you have done this before, 
to go to Rome. I was there for a, a wedding, destination wedding. And, um, but we spent time, anyone that's been to Rome has been to the Roman Forum. So half of you, raise your hand if you. And in the Roman Forum, that is this area in, in central Rome, there's all these old ruins that have been dug up in the 20th century. But there's one that didn't have to dig up. It's an arch. It's huge, you know. It's like the one in, in, in Paris. It's this huge arch. And these arches, it has on it the name of Titus, the great Roman general, mentioned even in the New Testament. Titus, and it has the pictures of the Roman army, and then one part is pictures of the Jews, because Titus went and, and, and conquered Israel, uh, Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. And the point of these huge arches what you see in other places in Europe, was when these military leaders would come back from a victory, they would have a parade, banners and musicians, and they would walk through this arch. The, the military leaders would be at the front, and then there would be all the dressed uh, military leaders, and, or, or excuse me, officers, and then somewhere in the back, right, with their hands tied, were the captives, Right? And that was the point. It was a victory. And then they would sit down and have a great banquet in front of their enemies to, to sort of rub it in their face and to celebrate the victory. Okay? Happened in Israel's history too. That's what he's saying. It's an image, but he's trying to make a point that even though I've been through a darkest of time through that, you didn't just... It's not only, it's one thing to survive a threat. It's another thing to turn it into a triumph. That's what the 23rd Psalm is about. And it should be about in your life, and it should be about in my life. I was just quick story. In uh, Kosovo, some of you know that, with a team from Browncroft, to a short-term mission trip. Two weeks ago, got back two weeks ago yesterday. We spent most of our time there with a couple, Nora and Matush, Matush, the husband, Nora, that's obviously a woman's name, uh, uh, Matush and Nora, Kosovar couple who we did ministry with. They have done, um, for the last, better part of the last 15 years, Bible clubs with kids, that's their ministry, then it kind of graduated to adult Bible studies. For the last two years, he's been a, um, a home church pastor. But while we were there with them over the course of these week, uh, this week, Nate Yoder and I had the opportunity to sit down with the wife of this couple to hear her testimony. Okay? How did she, in this Islamic country, become a Christian? And her story, her testimony was occasioned the same way many, many of the people who are now Christians in this country uh, came about because of the conflict, the war that happened 23 years ago when this ethnic conflict We've seen this movie before. In this case, Serb uh, uh, paramilitary came in and they began to um, slowly ethnically cleanse this country and bring about havoc. And at the very end, when NATO got involved, they were trying to do as much damage as they could as they exited this country. And this shows up at their door. A knock on an evening near midnight in March of 1999 the half of this town was on fire. They knew it was coming their way. The whole family was hiding in the attic. And while they're in the attic, in comes these soldiers. They're quiet as they can be. The soldiers find nothing. They throw a, a start the house on fire. This couple and their three kids, shortly after that, make it out of that house. They go 
uh, uh, two or three blocks to a prepared safe house where they stayed in the basement. She said, I remember saying to me, nobody said a word, nobody cried, even kids. It was like a, 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 a surreal a week in the basement of this home. Eventually, they had to leave, and they spent 10 hours walking to Albania, which eventually hundreds of thousands of Kosovars went to Albania, and they were there for three months, and they had the opportunity in Albania to restart their lives. But she said, something inside of us, she wasn't a Christian at the point, something which I later discovered was God, was saying to me, you need to go back. Even though they had nothing to go back to, their house had been burned to the ground. She went back, they became Christians, and they've had a whole new life. God has turned this trouble into a triumph. Just watch just two minutes of this very long video we shot to hear her tell the story herself. And so would you say in some ways the war <clears throat> was a catalyst for you becoming a Christian? Uh, yeah, it opened the door uh, for uh, Christianity in our country and mm -hmm. it kind of, in midst of all that trauma, in midst of all the difficulties and stress, God find a way to, to reach us and give us new hope mm -hmm. and purpose of life. Because to be honest, I didn't want to live anymore. It was like, I, I have no words to describe and I don't want to disturb you guys, but we lost the, the willingness to live. The only thing that kept me alive those days not to do something silly for my children because I didn't want to leave them. But when we came back, one of the friends that was with us in the Catholic Church, she calls me and she says to me, Nora, in my neighborhood, there are some people singing and praying for Jesus. She said, would you like to come because I cannot go by myself? So me and my oldest son, we went together to the church with my friends. And the first night when we arrived there, it was so wonderful. And it was something that I was looking all my life. And the pastor was preaching about the lost sheep. And that, you know, the story. And that touched my heart so much. And we received Jesus, me and my oldest son and my friend. For me, it's the hope that children will find Jesus and that they will grasp the importance of salvation and loving our country and staying here. And I know this can be done only through Jesus, only through Him opening their eyes, hearts, and minds. It's possible to live life with real power and purpose even in the presence of your enemies or outsized challenges, okay? That's the point, right? A strength must be found, okay? It's not once, the life of faith. Oh, I did it once. He Some of you... Your soul is so unrefreshed, it's been a long time. A strength must be found. 
a way must be walked. It's a difficult way. But he is with you, right? That's what faith is. Or a victory must be experienced. Romans 8 is basically saying the same thing. Listen to these words. You've heard them before. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? This is just a random list of things that can and do happen. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep, it's a metaphor, to be slaughtered. Sometimes that's what it feels like to be a Christian. No, the answer is, in all these things we survive. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, are you convinced? Confidence that faith produces. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even though I may walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. Okay? I think it was Dorothy Day, the 20th century Christian activist and writer who said, to be a Christian is to live life in a way that doesn't make sense unless God exists. Is that your story? Is that my story? It's to live your life in such a way that doesn't make sense unless God exists. Do people would people say that about you? Would they say that about This is the faith or the confidence that faith produces. Finally, this psalm tells us you cannot outrun God's love. The psalm ends with one of the greatest truths of the Christian gospel. What is it, Rob? We are not so much seeking after God as he is seeking after us. This is the key to the Christian life in a manner of speaking, right? It, the, the, you know, as Jesus says in Luke 15, right? The, the, you know, there's one, the, the shepherd, and he has a hundred sheep and one goes running off. Okay, this is a story, but it's a story with a point, okay? And the shepherd puts someone else in charge of the 99 and spends all his time going after the one lost sheep. Just like the prodigal son, the same story, the father waits patiently for the returning son, jumps off of that porch, runs after his son, puts on a robe, puts on sandals, puts a ring on his uh, finger, and says, I've always loved you. I've always been with you. Let's throw a party. Right? Surely your mercy and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Let me say something real quick about this. The house of the Lord. What is it? Is he talking about going to heaven when you die? I don't think so. It's an okay application. But if you, had the, if you lived in the Old Testament, there was no concept of heaven. Okay? 
That's a New Testament phenomenon. The house of the Lord, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It was the temple. And when when Israel did go into exile, which was probably when this psalm may have been written, or certainly when this psalm was experienced. By the time the psalms were written down, the people of God were in exile. And the writer's trying to remind us, David's long dead and gone by then. Pulling out, pulling together the psalms to say, listen, although we live hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, although the temple actually has been burned to the ground, it's like Nora's house was burned to the ground, okay? Although it's been burned to the ground, what, remi- what the temple represented was not heaven, but the presence of God. That's what you really, that's what you're after. That's what I'm after. It's not about geography. It's the presence of God. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. The house of the Lord is about knowing God and being known by him. The words of Jesus. Listen carefully, we're almost done. John 14. I am the good shepherd. Okay, what's Jesus talking about? What's he invoking there? He's invoking God as shepherd, God as leader, God as protector, God as king. He's he's identifying himself not with a real shepherd, but with God, the God of the Old Testament, the one who prepared a table in the wilderness. I am the good shepherd, okay? I know my sheep and my sheep know me. It's about intimacy with God. That's what he's talking about. That's what the temple means. Just as the Father knows me, And I know the Father. Here Jesus Christ was living on earth. He was about to be strung up on a cross. That sounds like a dark valley. He's living among people, many, not all, who wanted to see him killed. But he says with cool confidence, the Father knows me and I know the Father. I can walk through this valley. I can face this cross Because I am not alone. And God's going to turn this trouble into a triumph. Just watch. Which is what happened. But these words were said for you and for me. I lay down my life for the sheep. The confidence that faith produces, here's the point, is found in the presence of God, whatever your present circumstance. That's what the 23rd Psalm's about. If you're looking for some comfortable life Christianity, you gotta, it's a lie, throw it out the back door. It's walking through this life. A strength must be found. A, wa- a, a road, a difficult road must be walked. But spiritual victory is available for those who learn how to live out of the love of God. So, closing the application. How can I live in the presence of God today? Three little takeaways for this whole series. Number one, find ways to acknowledge his presence in your life. You see? I think it was maybe Habakkuk. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You go, could have fooled me. Because we live in a world that is, that is full of all kinds of trouble too. We live in a broken world. Satan is the God of this world. You guys know some of these things. But don't let that overwhelm you. Don't let that be the only thing that you see. Psalm 119 verse 64 says this. The earth is filled 
with your love. Not talking about the new heaven and earth. He's talking about this one. Do you see the world that way? Well, you, you will if you start looking for it. The earth is filled with your love. Okay? You've got to find ways to acknowledge his presence. Second, those of you listening from, I don't know, because you're here, so I can't, I can't chide you, come to church. Now you might, here's what's happened in the American church, or maybe the church in general. Church has become a consumer product. And there's some of that makes sense. If the preacher's no good and he's horrible or the music, whatever. Okay, but the point is, guys, that's not the point of church. Let me tell you what the purpose of church is. I didn't invent it. To meet with God and his people. And if you missed that, you missed it all. Okay? This isn't Wegmans. This is not Starbucks. This isn't Netflix. It's the church of the living God. Snap out of it and get in the game. Change your mindset and you'll change your experience. And third, you need to serve him. Okay? You need to serve him. It's not a consumer product. Matthew 25. Jesus said, Lord, we didn't know where you were here. When did we ever see you? When did we, when you, when did we, where did we see you? Well, when you saw the naked and the hungry and the thirsty. Because when you saw them, you saw me. You want to experience God? Serve him. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for my, uh, my friends. We, we love you. We need you. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray that you would help us, wherever we are in this room, if we need to find a strength in our lives, we might come to your word and we might renew our faith. If we have, are walking through a dark but difficult place in our lives, Lord, may we deepen our hold on you or our knowledge of your hold on us. And Lord, help us to know that we can have victory in this life. You have prepared a table for us. You can do that. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness of my life? Yes, he can. If we learn how to live out of your love. We love you and we thank you. And uh, we pray, Lord, for your blessing on Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen.